Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. Myths and stories are essential tools and guides for creative living in this crazy world. I want to share some of what I've learned from them with you. Today I want to tell you a portion of the ancient Greek creation myths, specifically the story about the Titanomachia, which was a 10-year war that was fought between the Titans, who were an earlier set of gods, uh, and the Olympians. This comes to us via the poet Hesiod, who was writing around the time of Homer, And these myths were really important to the Greeks because they were part of that period when the Greeks were forming their sense of identity. So we have the stories of the the heroes, Odysseus and Achilles and all of them, and this story of origins, how things came into being. And it's notable that one of the very first things that happens is this battle between two different orders of gods. Now, of course, this is an old story, and it's something that happened a long time ago. But the transition that's described in the Titanomachia, in the story that I want to tell you today, is a transition between two types of worlds, but it's also a story about two ways of being, or two dom- different types of, of dominant cosmic forces. You can think about it that way. These two modes of being that are described, the Titanic and the Olympian, are still with us today. And I want to tell you this story because it's one that I find myself going back to over and over again in my attempts to understand what's going on in the world right now. I first started really seriously working with this story in 2008. Here in the United States, we were almost completely uh, absorbed at the collective level with two things. The presidential election, that was the election of President Obama, our first black president, whose motto was hope, and the collapse of the housing market, which then led to a general collapse in our economy that's hurt a lot of people, which we still haven't recovered from, and involved the bailing out of some very large banks and financial institutions. Now, this is the first of two programs that I want to devote to this myth. Today, in this program, I want to tell you the story of the Titanomachia and talk a little bit about some of the dynamics that I see in this story that I think might be clues for imagining our way into our current situation. In the second program, we're going to take a little bit closer look at Titanism 
as a force that's active in the world today and consider how each of us might combat it. And I want to do this with the aid of an essay, really it's the text of a lecture, that was delivered by James Hillman in 1989, in which he asked the question (laughs) that I've been asking myself, which is, are we repeating Hesiod? Are we again in the time of the Titanomachia? So one other prefatory thing that I want to say, you know, the, the Greeks and the poets like Hesiod used the word God to describe many things that today we would call dynamics or principles or forces. They personified things that we are still experiencing, physical and psychological realities that we no longer invest with any particular human-scaled value. Now we call things by terms that are derived from material reality or we use abstractions. And I'm, I'm pointing this out because in particular when we get to the second program and James Hillman, this ability to personify is going to be a primary theme. So for right now, when you listen to the story, uh, allow yourself to imagine that the use of the words gods is an important word that uh, we might want to make a move towards now, but don't let it get in the way of your appreciation of the story. What Hesiod is talking about is something that I think we are living now. Let's turn to the Greek creation myths of the very beginning and this great war called the Titanomachia. In the beginning, in the very, very beginning, there was darkness. There was a great chasm, the abyss. There was emptiness, and yet there was order. And out of this great abyss, the earth, Gaia, emerged. Gaia created Eros, the power of attraction, the force that brings things together to create. And then Gaia created Uranus, heaven. Then she gave birth to the mountains, to the rivers and the seas. Now, heaven, Father Heaven, was a very lusty force. And he came down to lay on Mother Earth, on Gaia. And together, they instigated a period of prolific creation. Notable among their creations were the Titans, sons and daughters of Father Heaven and Mother Earth, that we might think of as celestial powers, as primal forces of nature, 
operating without constraint. The Titans were the first forms of the world that we know today. There were five Titan brothers associated with power and six Titan sisters. And the Titanesses, the sisters, had special gifts like wisdom and justice and memory. Menemson, or memory, was the mother of the muses. And the youngest of all of these Titan brothers and sisters was the Triton brother named Kronos, who was also called the schemer. Gaia also gave birth to the Cyclops, called Circle Eyes, and she gave birth to three hideous brothers, three brothers who were not to be spoken of. Kotos, Briaros, and Gyges. Now, each of these brothers had 50 heads, and from their misshapen shoulders, each had 100 arms. They had boundless strength, and they were fearsome to see. Father Heaven hated all of his children, but he hated these three hideous brothers the worst, and so he banished them to a dark cave deep in the earth. He wouldn't let them see the light. Gaia groaned from the effort of holding these children inside. And she was very angry because Mother Earth, Gaia, she loved all of her children. And she was beginning to feel oppressed by Uranus, Father Heaven. Gaia made a sickle of hard metal and approached her Titan sons for help. All of these Titans feared their father. And they were reluctant to take him on. Only Kronos, her youngest son, said, Yes, mother, I will help you. Kronos took the sickle. And when heaven came and spread himself upon the earth again, Kronos ambushed his father and castrated him. He cut off his testicles and threw them into the sea. Some drops of blood fell onto Gaia. And from these she bore the Furies, goddesses of retribution, and the giants. Cronus's testicles went into the ocean and foam rose up. And from this foam was born the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty and love. Well, Father Heaven prophesied that he would have his revenge, and he then gave these children their name, Titan, which means to spread, to stretch, and to strain. Well, now the Titans ruled the cosmos and roamed the earth. And the Titan brothers were lawless and violent 
and jealous of power, prone to excess in all that they did. Kronos was now the alpha male, since he was the one who took down their dad, and he took his sister Rhea, who we can understand as the next iteration of Mother Earth. He took his sister Rhea as wife. Rhea was a face of the mother goddess. You can see echoes of Rhea in uh, Sibel and some of the other mother goddess figures. Kronos and Rhea had six children, the gods who were known as the Olympians. There were three daughters, Hestia, Demeter, and Hera, and three sons, Poseidon, Hades, and Zeus, who is also known as the resourceful. As you can imagine, Kronos was afraid of his children. He knew what sons can do to fathers, and there was this prophecy, you see, from Father Heaven that a son would overthrow him. So, to prevent this, as each child was born, Kronos swallowed him or her. This upset Rhea very much. And so she went to her parents, Gaia and Aranos, Earth and Heaven, and they agreed to help her. So when Zeus, the last of her children, was born, she gave Kronos a stone. And he was so eager to gobble up yet another one of his children that he swallowed the stone without even noticing the difference. And Zeus was spirited away to a cave on the island of Crete where he was raised by his grandmother, Gaia. When Zeus grew up, he was told of his five siblings and vowed to release them. So he traveled in secret to the unsuspecting Kronos and forced his father to vomit them all up. Some say that Zeus the resourceful masqueraded as a servant, that he came to his father as a cupbearer and gave Kronos a mixture of mustard and wine, mixed by his titan aunt, Metis, the goddess of wisdom. Well, once the Olympians were all on the earth yet again, now there had to be war. There was no way that the Titans and the Olympians, that Kronos and Zeus could coexist with any kind of peacefulness. And the Titanomachia began. All of the beings on earth, including Gaia and heaven, all of them sided with Zeus and his Olympian siblings against the Titan brothers. Heaven and earth were on Zeus's side, the Cyclopses with all of their thunderbolts. He even had the Titan sisters and one of the most famous sons of the Titans, the son of Iaptus, Prometheus. All of these forces lined up on the side of the Olympians, and yet they couldn't win. For ten years, this war raged. 
The sky flashed. There were strong winds, high waves. The earth was covered in fire, and the mountains shook. And finally, Zeus went to his grandmother, Gaia, for advice. Well, she told him, you must get the help of the three hideous brothers who must not be spoken of. The three hideous brothers who are living in misery in the dark cave. As you see, when Kronos took over, he didn't let them out. Like his father before him, he kept them in that dark cave. So Zeus went down into the bowels of the earth and brought up those three hideous brothers. He fed them nectar and the sweet ambrosia of the gods until they regained their strength. And then he asked for their help. As you can imagine, there was no love lost between them and Kronos and the Titans. And so they joined the war. And with their 100 arms each, they pelted the Titan brothers with huge stones. And again, the earth was covered in fire and the mountains shook. It was the battle of all battles. But this time, Zeus and the Olympians won. The prophecy was fulfilled. The son defeated the father. And Zeus banished the Titans to Tartarus, a dank and cold place beyond the reach of anything, out on the very, very, very edge of the cosmos. Some specific punishments were meted out to some of them. The Titan Atlas, for example, was forced to hold the earth on his shoulders. And the three hideous brothers volunteered to stand guard over the Titans in exile in Tartarus. The Olympians then gathered on Mount Olympus, where they feasted on ambrosia and sweet nectar to contemplate the dawning of a new day, their age, the age of the Olympians. They divided the cosmos into three realms. Poseidon took the ocean deeps and the waters. Hades was given the underworld of the dead. And Zeus became the overlord with the sky and the heavens. He became the champion. Now, with the Olympians, there came the beginning of a new civilization. You can read this story as a story about the struggle for a new world and cosmic order. And as I said at the beginning, as a new way of being. Just as the Titans were in their own rough way, a refinement or a further differentiation of the originating principles of heaven and earth, the Olympians then were a refinement on the Titans. And we can see this in the first moves of Zeus, because Zeus, one of the first things that he does then is he lays with each of the Titan sisters and their progeny are things that uh, are fundamental uh, structures in the operation of the world as we know it. 
So for example, he lays with the Titan sisters and brings forth justice and the hours and the graces and with memory, Menemson, the muses. So the world becomes further differentiated and each of the Olympians are further defined, nuanced aspects of what came before. So now, instead of having Mother Earth and then Rhea, who is Mother but not Earth, we then have uh, several different faces of the maternal. In Hera as wife, for example, Demeter as the maternal nurturing Earth element, Hestia as the goddess of the hearth of home. So you see how things become more sophisticated in a way or further developed. Well, we're going to talk about this more in the next program that I want to record on the Titans. But there are a couple of things about this story of the Titan Amakia that always grab my attention and that I have puzzled over for years, literally, and have been the subject of conversation with others that I've shared this story with. So let's talk about them just a little bit. One of them is the role that is played by the Earth herself, Mother Earth, Gaia. Did you notice that the impetus for these moves, these shifts towards a more differentiated cosmos were initiated by Gaia. First, she calls upon Kronos to come to her aid. She's feeling overtaxed. She's feeling that heaven is taking too much charge over the way that things should develop. And then later on, when Kronos is battling Zeus, Grandmother Gaia advises Zeus about how to win. So I'm struck by the fact that it is Earth that is the impetus for these huge transformations. That in some important way, the call for a new order originates in the pleas of the Earth. It's answered by forces that we can only imagine as winds, storm, fire, drought, tsunamis, earthquakes, hurricanes. The plight of the overtaxed earth puts everything into motion. The other thing that I find myself wondering about is the role that is played by the three hideous brothers who were not to be spoken of. We have something that is tremendously powerful that is not given a place, that is relegated to the bowels of the earth. Something rejected. And the Titans and the Olympians, they fight for 10 years and they're evenly matched, even though Zeus is given lightning and thunder by the Cyclops, even though the Titan sisters are on his side. Zeus has the other Olympians and most of the powers in heaven on earth on his side, and he still 
can't win until these three are brought up from the earth. So who or what are Kotos, Barrios, and Gyges today, I wonder? Now this is a serious question. I mean, we are talking about a war that's fought at the level of the gods. That is dynamics beyond our control. And yet our participation, our human participation is important. It has consequences. And let me share some of the thoughts that other people who've reflected on this story with me have put forward in the hopes that these might give you some ideas and catalyze your own thinking process about what has been banished, what's been forced underground, that could be the deciding factor in our current battle against Titanism. One thing that was suggested is doubt. You know, the recognition that there may be things that we don't know and can't be sure of, coupled with an acceptance of ambiguity. Another possible brother is death. We often act like death is just a mistake, that it's something that can be cured or that it's a personal tragedy, but it is the other half of the life equation. And what would happen if we allowed for the naturalness of death. Maybe then we would allow for natural death, our own and the deaths of other creatures that we use, for lack of a better word. I've also had suggestions that um, seem to be, to me, expressions or an awareness of our own titanism, our own lawlessness and excess. Moderation, for example, Sacrifice, you know, the uh, giving up of modern conveniences, quote-unquote. Taking responsibility for cleaning up our own messes. Being honest with ourselves. Not just with other people, but with ourselves. No more twisting the facts to justify our cultural overindulgence. Um, Some people have suggested to me that the three hideous brothers might include quote-unquote abnormal people, people who don't fit the prescribed, by some prescribed, mode of normality. And this could maybe even include aliens or communications that some, you know, those weird, strange people have had with other world elements. So maybe there are things or people that take us outside of what we know to be true, quote unquote, um, and, and the fear that we have of those people who dabble in the unknown or the unknowable. Another person suggested to me that maybe the three unspeakables are the shadows of whatever bright torches a given society holds up. So here in the United States, maybe liberty's shadow is slavery. Democracy's shadow might be the lack of choice that we truly have in our elected leaders. And the shadow of the free market, (laughs) free market, the lack of freedom in the market for a large segment of our society or other countries who are forced to abide by our terms. 
the fact that we bully each other and others with this delusion of freedom. It was suggested that one of the repressed brothers might be the feminine principle, the feminine archetypally, as in earth and birth and rootedness and decay, as in the relational and empathetic, as in the dark and wet and heavy, as intuition, as in the moonlight. One person that I told this story to said that uh, the hidden away, unspoken of monster could be the animal kingdom and more generally the natural world. It was noted that we don't really speak about how we're part of nature and that we have these fantasies about our elevated level of consciousness and our ability to control nature, an ability that may even be a God-given right. I think we're in for a big surprise, this person said. And then finally it was suggested to me that imagination, imagination as a basic ongoing function of consciousness, not as something that we choose to indulge to while away the odd hour, could be one of the repressed. Because our illusions, delusions about the ongoing role that imagination plays are part of our fantasies of objectivity and rationality, fantasies that have led us to do all kinds of harm and misopportunities to really understand human nature and human being, human being as an imaginative act in the cosmos. Well, all of these are really valuable reflections, and it is valuable to reflect. So I invite you to do that. If this story has moved you at all, I would really like to know, what do you think, who do you think might be the three hideous brothers who are not to be spoken of? Brothers, forces that may be instrumental, not only instrumental, but crucial in our ongoing transition from one world order to another. So that's it for me, Catherine Savela, here at Myth in the Mojave. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program, especially ideas about who the three brothers might be. And if you're not receiving regular announcements about new Myth in the Mojave programs, please go to the Myth in the Mojave website or the Myth in the Mojave Facebook page and subscribe. We are working these stories together. Also, if you're finding something of value in Myth in the Mojave, I'd really appreciate your financial support. When you go to Bandcamp to listen to the programs, you'll see that there is a tab there for community. And for only $5 a month, you can have unlimited access to all of the Myth in the Mojave programs that are archived there, as well as free downloads of everything new that I create and the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping keeping this program and this investigation of mythology alive. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time for more on the Titans. And until then, happy mythmaking.
and keep the mystery in your life alive.